Welcome to Lossiemouth United Free Church Sermons Online. We're glad you could join us as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want more information about our services or about church life, please head over to our website at lossieufchurch.org for more resources. Let's hear God's words. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den? if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the, on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves in the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults that within her and the opposed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defences from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. Then the day I will punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Lord, bless the reading of his word today. Last week we continued on in our study in Amos and we saw how God, through his messenger, the prophet, was calling the nations to account. What we saw is that God is not simply interested in his chosen people, but in the surrounding nations as well, reinforcing the truth that all the nations are accountable to him, which helped us think about how in our own context We, as the New Israel Christ Church, are called to live distinctive lives in contrast to those around us. We are able, as the New Israel, to do what the old could not do through what Christ has completed at Calvary's cross. Of course, as we learnt, and as we know, God's mission 
was never about excluding the surrounding nations from the people of God. Indeed, his people were to draw those around into worship of the Almighty. And that's why Piper writes, in mission, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. God is the lion who roars from Zion, declares his judgment upon the nations. But we were to be cautious, not to be too quick to bring our own judgment upon these nations. Because as God speaks through Amos about these nations, he was also preparing to speak to his own chosen people. We read the primary charge against them of they have rejected the law of the Lord and they have not kept his statutes. This, of course, is the most serious of charges here against God's people because the rejection of God's laws and statutes is at the heart of all their other failures. We saw how this resonates with our own circumstances today as we as a nation We've largely abandoned the things of God. We've departed from his statutes and his law. But there's also a personal challenge within these passages. To watch and guard ourselves from departing from or from not resting in God's words. Amos is a reminder to God's people of their reliance, of our dependence on him. And yet so often... Pride makes us think we can go out alone. We finished, of course, with God's concern as a just God for the injustice that we see in our world and the injustice of Amos's time. But we do not simply preach social justice for all as the world does and the church has a temptation of drifting into, but the gospel of Christ, out of which flows the fruits of the gospel, the fruits of the Spirit that we thought about, as people care for one another, love one another, seek reconciliation rather than conflict, and fairness for all, regardless of creed, colour, or tongue. Today, as we come to chapter 3, we arrive at what is a major section in Amos, which begins here at chapter 3 and runs through to chapter 6. You will, of course, be relieved to know that we will break this down into manageable parts to learn from. We're not taking the whole lot today. This section has, as a whole, contains five oracles which deal with the indictment and judgment of Israel due to her failures. And today we'll deal with the first of those oracles and see what they can teach us as well. The commentators have written... All of us have derived great encouragement and comfort from Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the difference is Amos faces the grim mirror image. If God is against us, who can be for us? And so this is the situation we find the people of God in as we begin this part of the scriptures. And hence the title for today's sermon, If God is Against Us. God's people have enjoyed his favour. They've enjoyed his leading and going before them, leading them into the promised land. 
leading them out of Egypt. But they have rebelled against a holy and just God. And Amos must now summon them to hear the judgment that the Lord has brought against them. Judgment, of course, is not a topic any of us particularly like to address or deal with. We would be far happier and much more comfortable in other parts of the Scripture, more feel-good parts of the Scripture. But we are called to consider the full heights and depths of God's Word so that we are better equipped as believers. As we study the errors of our forefathers, we hopefully learn to avoid the pitfalls that they fell into and the errors that they made. But more importantly, get a fuller sense of the God that we serve. So for us today, it allows us to consider some aspects of God's judgment that we can helpfully group, I think, into three kind of broad headings of the fairness of God's judgment, the inevitability of God's judgment, and finally, the completeness of God's judgment. So let's begin with the fairness of God's judgment. The chapter opens with Amos's call for all the people of Israel to hear what the Lord has spoken. That phrase, hear this word, occurs here and again in chapters 4 and 5. But it has echoes of the original covenant of God with his people in Deuteronomy. Indeed, the Shema in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, is one. And of course, she goes on to declare, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The nation's very downfall into judgment was that they had failed in this very area. The idea that the the Lord was at the center of their lives and that of their nation was vital then, as it is now, as we saw last week. When God's judgment is exercised, it's not some vindictive manner that he uses for some petty misdemeanor, as some may think but it is the application of his perfect justice to the situation. He is fair in all his dealings with his people and his dealings with us. And we see in the opening verse that it's the word spoken against the covenant community which sets the tone for what is to come. The emphasis on the whole people shows that this is not a failing of maybe just a few bad apples but it is a corporate failure of the entire nation. Even though the kingdom is now divided at this point into two parts, he speaks to them as one people, his people. God, through his prophet, reminds them that he was the God that saved them, that led them out of the hands of the Egyptians and set them free. Yet after all this, they have turned away and are doing their own thing. The Exodus event is central to the Old Testament, and of course points to the the greater Exodus event of God saving his people through Christ, and what Christ accomplished at the cross. In verse 2, God says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. What the ESV translation here renders as known, the NIV instead uses chosen. So it reads, 
You only have I chosen. Whichever term we use, what is clear is that he's pointing to his sovereign choice of them as the object of his loving concern. It is them as a nation and them alone that he's entered into a covenant relationship with. And immediately we read, Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Of course, when we read the biblical text closely, we should always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? It is clear that because they are his chosen people, that is why he is going to deal with them, by sending them into exile, in what is almost a reversal of the exodus. However, what it is not is a breaking of his covenant promises, the covenant promises of a holy God. As with a good earthly father, so his discipline is fair for the disobedience and the rebellion that they've shown. God's judgment is always fair and just. His response always proportionate to their and our failure. We often think of judgment in terms of those that have no saving faith. But we can forget how it applies to the community of faith in the here and now. The nation of Israel failed in its covenant responsibilities. But we remember that God never changes. And so, as one writer puts it, we must remember that God is inflexible under the new covenants as the old. Much is expected of his people in the light of the privileges of revelation. When the church loses its distinctiveness in the world, when it fails to be what it is called out to be, then we too will come under judgment. We must remember that God, it is God's judgment and not our judgment. It can become all too easy for us to look upon other churches, to look at other denominations with a sense of triumphalism, that we are doing it the right way. However, it is for God himself who will bring his perfect judgment to bear. Through the Old Testament, we see this pattern of people going into exile Indeed, we see it in, in Adam and Eve as they're exiled from the, the garden. There's a period of purging and refining as those that are true to the Lord are once again restored and renewed. Christ brings the fuller exodus as the children of Adam cast into exile are restored and welcomed back into the covenant community. And the refiner's fire continues through lives, through churches, and indeed denominations, until the chaff is burnt away and only what is true and precious remains. Of course, we remember that God's judgment is proportionate and perfect, but his love is abounding and it is more than we can ever hope or dream for. And so as we move on to verse 3, through to eight, we are presented through Amos with a series of rhetorical questions as we come to the inevitability of God's judgment. The answer to each question is quite clear, it's quite obvious, and it points us to the reality that consequences, that actions have consequences. And in Israel's case, there is an inevitability about the consequence to the rebellion against God. The opening question, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet, points to God's relationship with his people. 
There is a covenant relationship, as we've thought about, where they should be, should be continually walking with the Lord. Yet it's because they are not walking with the Lord that they will experience the judgment that will become upon them. The answers to the questions are obvious to show that there is an inevitability about what will come of their disobedience. How often do the consequences to sin stand so obviously clear to us? But sin convinces us that we will somehow avoid them. When we look at the Psalms, we see the Psalms' frustration with the wicked seemingly flourishing and getting on in life, getting away with the prize. But the reminder continually echoes through the Psalms that they must stand at the day of judgment. Verse 4 and 5 again point to how the hunter will get his quarry. And we see in the terms of the passage of the lion that rose from Zion that he too will get his quarry. Verse 6, in the context of the ancient Near East, is a reminder how fearful a prospect it was for a city to come under siege. When that trumpet sounded and that warning was heard, all would fear what was to come. As the first listener of Amos' message answered these questions, they were opening themselves up to the reality of their own situation. As the passage builds, we come to verse 7 and 8 with direct reference to God himself as the one speaking through his prophet. The lion stalking its prey or the enemy at the gate are one thing, but to be under the wrath of God is quite something else. At this point, it all seems pretty grim, not a particularly uplifting story if we were to finish at this point today. But of course, there is more to the story. As file notes, the lion roars and the trumpet blasts are the voice of God calling his people to repentance. The voice of the prophet points to the future in order that the people may come to faith in the present. God speaks through his prophets so that instead of facing their coming judgment without any hope, they turn in repentance instead towards their God. In the context of Amos, there is the backdrop of the law, the exodus, and that covenant relationship with his people. In our context, we have the backdrop of Christ, the cross, and a people called out to be his church. These are not disconnected, but they flow into each other. And so, as we think about God's judgment, it is a sobering thought that should cause us some self-examination. It is easy to hear judgment preached upon and then apply it to someone else. But Amos calls each of us to examine ourselves before a holy and perfect God and to be driven to repentance and a daily walking with him. The inevitability of their judgment also means there is an opportunity to prepare for it. If we can still hear judgment preached today, then we remain in the days of grace where we can respond but those days will not remain forever. Through Christ's work on the cross, there is a way to be redeemed and renewed as people, as churches, and as denominations. The proclamation of judgment is a sign of God's grace and mercy because he wants to draw people back unto himself. 
And saying a good doctor knows, a good doctor will give his prognosis before he treats the problem. But in the remainder of the chapter, we begin to unpack the nature of the coming judgment upon Israel. And we think about the completeness of God's judgment. In verse 9, the surrounding nations, her old enemies, are invited to look on from the hilltops surrounding Samaria, to look in to see how she behaves. Amos highlights three particular failures within this great city. In verse 10, we're told they do not know how to do right, which, as we see, leads to violence and robbery. In verse 12, we see the image of the shepherd rescuing the remnants of the lamb from the lion. In a sense of irony, only God, through his extravagant mercy, can see anything worth saving because they have lost their sense of holiness and distinctiveness in the world. The leaders and the nation had compromised, making Yahweh simply one God among many, a local God, if you like, as opposed to the only one true God over everything. And finally, in verse 14, Amos turns his attention towards the altars of Israel. The holy places where they gather corporately in worship are worthless without personal and corporate holiness. They have fallen into the trap that those that depart from God and his world fall into, worshipping the creation rather than the creator. As we read in verse 14, the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. What significance have the horns of the altar got? The horns of the altar were the place that you clung to if you sought safety and refuge. You gripped them with all your life. And turning from God, they have forfeited his protection and refuge. They would be at the mercy of their enemies and the nations would ravage them and destroy them. All had been built up under the protection of the Almighty. And so Amos is like a spiritual health check. They challenge the people of Amos' day but continues to challenge us, challenge us today. The dangers of appearing as a worshipping community while it's neglecting personal holiness. The reminder that God is our protection and refuge and to chase after anything else is to move from the shelter of the Almighty. All reminders. Also a reminder of how far the nation had drifted, not knowing how to do right. Even by the standards of the pagan nations, they had crossed the line with them as well. It was a constant reminder of where a little drift can take us further than we ever imagined. A little compromise here and a little there leads to a whole lot further down the road. We see the completeness of God's judgment as he deals with his people. But we remember this in the broader context of his mercy as he refines his people and his church. And as we finish today, I think we've but scratched the surface of a heavy topic but one that needed to be addressed in Amos' day and one that needs to be addressed in our own day today. And so may the Lord use his word to challenge our hearts today and to draw us into a closer relationship with him. 
Let's just take a moment in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we acknowledge you as a holy and perfect God, but also a just God. And how you deal with us is not what we deserve when we come to you in repentance and faith. That which we should have experienced is taken upon Christ at the cross. And so, as we think upon the topic of judgment, we think also that we live in the day of grace. When we can turn to you, that we can find protection under the wings of the Almighty, and that we can come in repentance and live out our lives in holiness. So help us, Lord, as we go from this place. May we be changed by the moving of your Spirit within our lives today, that work that is going on, of tearing down what needs removed and building up what needs to be encouraged in our lives so that we look more like Christ day by day. So go before us, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.